Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski and I'm here with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello. How are you, Courtney? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. And excited for the show. So we have kicked off our Hot Dogs coverage for the 25th anniversary of Hot Dogs. The 2018 edition is uh, just about to open in less than a, no, in a week. Exactly a week. Exactly a week from tonight. Uh, So we wanted to give you some insights. Last week we had uh, Director of Programming Shane Smith. Uh, During an interview, um, he gave us some tips and some insights and a bit of history and stuff. And so that was fun. And now Courtney and I are going to talk about our hot picks for hot dogs. Yeah, there's a a wave of (laughs) of films that uh, we've seen so far and a whole bunch we're going to still be seeing. So we'll give you a, a brief synopsis of what to look out for. Right. And so first, let's talk to some of these artists. Uh, That's always an exciting part of any festival. Uh, In fact, both artists are local, both Toronto people. So we're very proud of that. The uh, artist Kelly O'Brien, we're going to talk to her in a bit about uh, the world premiere of her performance piece. Yes, DocX, the program in Hot Docs that has VR and all sorts of different kinds of ways of dealing with documentary has a performance this year. It's a one night only. So pay attention, guys. That's going to be later on. And first, we're going to talk to filmmaker Shasha Nakai, and she made a film called Take Light. It takes place in Nigeria, and it's this complex look about Nigeria's electricity crisis, complex in the most fascinating way. Nigeria's having a crisis because of all these reasons that we're going to get into with Shasha, uh, including just companies messing it up, but also colonialism, I mean... We know we know those stories, and we're going to hear this particular story of a country that's that's really struggling with their electricity grid and with getting electricity out to customers. And this is a country that is one of the most populous countries in Africa, and in fact has so much gas. This should not be happening. But anyway, that's my editorializing off to the side for a bit. So let's start off, Shasha, uh, talking about how did you get involved with this story? First of all, thanks for having me. Um, So my film, Take Light, um, I shot the film in uh, my hometown, uh, which is Port Harcourt, Nigeria, and I grew up there lived there for the first 15 years of my life. And, um, you know, my entire childhood is essentially framed by the issue of electricity. Almost all of my childhood memories have something to do with, um, you know, the power situation. And when I came here to Canada when I was 15 and started moving between the two worlds, um, I really started to gain perspective on how insane the situation was, and that's where the idea comes from. Mm-hmm. It's so complicated. And, and the film, it, I, I like the way you handle it in the film. I like the way that you balance facts and realities with um, people, portraits of people. Just, you know, you had enough time and you spent some time with individuals, with, you know, groups of people, groups as in workers, groups as in people who are trying to deal with the workers, you know, things like that. And so, Tell me about what you envisioned and and how this sort of structure came into place. Yes. um, For the film, I really wanted to focus on everyday people and their stories because for as long as I can remember, politicians have always made promises that were never kept and always said the same thing. So I made a conscious choice for everyday people to kind of be at the forefront of the film and for the politicians and NGOs and CEOs to all kind of be on the radio in the background. Um, and so, you know, that's that's a very conscious choice I made. And did you have um, problems getting access? Because one of the things that struck me about this film is you don't just follow the workers as they go about the day, but you also get access to some of the inner workings of how the people, I guess, at the core center are, are trying to keep the the grids alive in from a company perspective, 
a lot of organizations don't like outsiders coming in because you might stumble upon some practices that aren't, um, you know, it doesn't put them in a favorable light. So was it tough getting that type of access or were they more open because you're coming from overseas to, to open their doors and give you the access that you got? For sure. I, I took a lot of time getting access to a lot of these places. Um, my, my ability to speak pigeon and, and being living in the area where I shot was a huge part of it. But I definitely don't look like I'm from Nigeria. And so given the history of colonial and extractive industries, people are very suspicious and, you know, justifiably so, um, as, you know, what are you doing here? So I always had to take a lot of extra time to explain where I was coming from. And um, I think most people, once they learned about where I was coming from, were very much on board with the subject matter. And that includes the people who work for the power company. So um, to, I guess, follow back on to the, the workers, because people like Martins and Deborah, I thought were you know fascinating, and they're really the heart of the film. And I, I watched one of your short films, um, Paru Paru, and again, it's focusing on a worker. In, in that case, it was a foreign worker who comes to, I guess, North America, and you know, sacrificing her life to help for children overseas and put back. And here we have Martins again working hard, risking his life for his kids. And what is it about laborers that you find so compelling? I don't really know. <laughs> I've all I seem to gravitate towards um you know kind of everyday people. The 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 figure of the Nepa man who is the guy we follow for the majority of the film is kind of like this mythological figure that I've heard about since I was a child. I've heard stories of. I've never I've never actually met one. I never actually talked to one. And so in this case, that's really what attracted me to that day to day. You know, I thought, what's it like to be the most one of the most hated people in Nigeria, and what is that day to day like? Um, so I, I I haven't explored where that comes from my interest, but I thought other people might find that interesting as well. Obviously, people respond to you very well because at, you know at a certain point, the film just has this level uh, of comfort speaking. People are very comfortable speaking, and they that the beauty of it is that the people are themselves. They're not putting on a show for you or show for you know whoever they think is watching. They're just being themselves, and you know starting with your fascination with the, the Nepa man, there's there's interesting twists and turns as to you know when you start following the, the individuals and people, where you end up. And who you end up talking to, and I'm just I'm wondering if any of that sort of happened as it as it as you were there as you were filming. Suddenly, someone said, "Oh, you have to talk to so and so." And yeah, I'm wondering about how that came about. Um, I always knew there was a connection between you know energy generation and climate change, um, but I. It was as we were filming that I realized how interconnected things really were. And that, in a large part, um, ended up shaping the latter half of the film. And um, I, 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 t I generally spoke to a lot of people that I wanted to speak to from the beginning. There's one more world that I had really wanted to film that didn't make it. Um, but generally, like I, I, we went along you know, pretty much sticking to the, the plan in terms of who we wanted to speak to. So you knew about those gents on YouTube? I love those two guys. The guys that are sitting there, they're just, you know, relaxing, chatting, old friends, obviously, because of the way the banter goes and the way they're, they're teasing each other and the way they're arguing that, you know, they disagree with each other sometimes, but you could tell they love each other. And it's just this, this fascinating look uh, into these, these two... I don't know. They're, I'm just captivated by them. Yeah, they, they're really funny. And, you know, from the beginning, I knew that I wanted somehow to express humor because that is how a lot of that's how you get through the day. You know, if you in Nigeria, if you don't have humor, then you're finished, you know. Um, and those guys, Two Angry Men, they're um, two Nollywood filmmakers, but they have a web series and um I just thought that they would really be able to pr speak for the everyman, but also be really funny. Mm -hmm. 
had a question. Are you going to segue? Oh, well, no, because I, I, I want to, you know, what, let's, I want to ask about the, the Nollywood and I want to ask, I'll go back to my other original question. So you're presenting a, a version of Nigeria that we rarely get to see on film, um, especially here in North America. I guess most people are just now um, getting used to Nollywood, now starting to see Nigeria on the big screen in that light. But you're going in as a documentary filmmaker, and Nollywood's often for big budget scripted productions or now moving into independent production. So how how is documentary handled in Nigeria? Is it is there like a growing following for documentary, or is it still kind of a fringe form of film? It is still very much a fringe kind of film, and I struggled with that a lot, it, just explaining to people what I was doing, and you know that it's like no, you need to act natural, but. You can't. We're not a news crew. You don't just do it for like five minutes and we leave. You have to do it for like five days at least, mm -hmm. and then, and then you know we pick, we pick and choose the best moments and edit that. And I, I still don't think Martin's fully understands that what what a documentary is <laughs> until he sees it. So he hasn't uh, seen the, the the final cut of the film yet. No, we've only had two showings so far um, in Cleveland and Atlanta, and Hot Docs in Toronto will be our next. Um, but I'm hoping to screen at a festival in, in Nigeria in October, oh, and good. I really want to make sure I'm there um, to be with everyone when they watch it. Okay, and what I was going to originally ask you was um, getting back to being you know the, the Nepa employees being the most hated people. There's there's a really tense moment where they come across a customer who's upset um, that power is being cut off in his section, but Deborah alludes to the fact that it's not it's it's his method of operation to get very violent, and the scene gets very tense. And I was wondering for for you and your crew, did you ever feel a sense of danger in those moments, or were you guys I guess far enough away, or there was enough protection around you that things wouldn't escalate? To be honest, in that moment when we were filming, I was very scared. I look at it now and I'm like, oh, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. um, but um, <laughs> when people tell me that they were, they were surprised by that moment, I actually say that's actually nothing because that's only a tip of the iceberg in terms of the day-to-day the -day violence that these people deal with. And it's in part because of our presence, two foreigners with a camera, um, you know, that's going to change how people react to things. And so... Um, what you, the kind of tense moments that you see are only just a hint of what people actually deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Wow. So, uh, so what kind of reactions did you have at the other festivals, and what are you hoping for here in Toronto? Um, the best part so far was um, sitting next to a Nollywood filmmaker uh, in Atlanta and hearing her laugh the whole time because that's what I'm looking for. I, you know, sometimes North American audiences, because they're not really familiar with Nigeria, they might feel uncomfortable laughing about certain things. And so I'm really excited to uh, screen the film here in Toronto with Nigerian Canadians, as well as just, you know, Canadians who know nothing about Nigeria and, and see that mix and see the kind of reaction that I get. Great. Going back to Nigeria, being a person who's lived there, as you said, for 15 years and traveled back and forth, did you notice anything different going back as a director and looking at it through a particular lens? Was there anything that kind of caught your eye that you didn't really think about all those other times that you've you've been there? Um, I honestly felt like I was just home. Mm -hmm. I mean, things have changed a lot there. Um, I definitely feel attention uh, and you know there's soot in the air right now in Port Harcourt and so it's kind of sad it's sad going back and, and seeing how um, dangerous things have gotten and how unemployed people are because of the oil industry um, so really those are the things I paid attention to the most when I was there um, and those are the things that stuck out to me the most and uh, I have one more quick question for um, I noticed when I was looking up the film, because I, I thought it was really well shot, and your cinematographer is Rich Williamson, who did that great short frame 394, which in my research I realized that you're the producer of. So how did you, I guess, where's that connection in terms of your working relationship? Because you seem to work on each other's projects a lot and also have the, was it the Compli? Company, company? Yeah. yeah how, so yeah. how did that come about? Uh, Rich, who shot and edited this film, Take Light, um, he's normally in the director's seat. Um, but because it's a personal story to me, I, I 
sat in the director's seat for this one. Um, but yeah, we've worked together on many, many short films, and we are we're also partners. Like we live together, um, so that that helped a lot because we spent four months shooting this in Nigeria. So that's a long time to to spend, you know, away from from home. Um, so that was a very, very crucial part of you know the dynamics behind the scenes in this film. And did you, and since you wear the hat of both producer sometimes and director, what I guess what's your what do you feel more passionate about? Which one brings you more fulfillment behind the camera or helping get everything working behind the scenes? That's a tough question. On honestly, I I work with when I work with Rich, I work with him in the exact same way no matter what our title is. So, I'm generally a creative producer mm-hmm. and I think that's where my strength is. That's great. Terrific. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So we've been talking to director Shasha Nakai about the film Take Light. The first screening is on Friday, April the 27th. Hot Docs starts next week. So it's it's having a bunch of screenings at Hot Docs. And we recommend that you go. It's a great film. And it'd be great to talk to Shasha about her experiences also. Uh, so let's take light. And we will be back in just a second. Okay, you're back with Frameline on Radio Regent. I'm Barbara Goslovsky here with Courtney Small and our next guest, Kelly O'Brien, a local hero who is going to do a performance piece at Hot Docs. I don't know if they've done a performance piece at Hot Docs before, but in any case, it's going to be exciting. We know something better work, and hopefully you do too. So we're looking forward to this very much, and uh, it's great to have you here, Kelly. Hi. So um, I'll just tell you a little bit before we launch in. This performance piece is an update of a slideshow that uh, she did in 2016, and that came from the posts that she shares on Facebook. And they are, it's hard to describe them because they're just so fascinating and, and they hit me personally on so many levels. There's there's always an intellectual level. There's usually a, like some gorgeous photography that goes with it that's very poetic and lyrical and, and these thoughts and feelings and musings and quotes and it all comes together into this 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 beautiful each post is an artistic expression and a thoughtful expression and it gives me something to think about but it also gives me some sort of I don't know something that keeps me going Ooh, that's so <laughs> that's, sweet that's my personal confession to Aww. you Kelly <laughs> thank you so much so let's talk about these Facebook postings, let's have you talk about it in, in your words, because I think we can all, you know, friends, critics, everybody, we can all talk about what you do in our own ways. But tell us about it from your point of view. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back, I guess, to maybe 2008 when I reluctantly joined Facebook. I wasn't a big social media person, but I have um I had two kids at the time and I'd have um my my second son um my second child was born with severe disabilities. Um his name's Teddy and uh we were having a benefit for him and I thought well what a better way to use you know Facebook um so we put the ad, you know the call out that we were having this benefit for him and then you know slowly over the years I just started posting things about my kids and just life around me um I just felt that, you know, I'd gone back to school in my early 40s and did an MFA in film at York, and I made a film about um, the experience of um, having a child with, um, like Teddy, but, you know, it took me five years to make, and then after I finished it, I had another child, so I, I was home, and I couldn't, I didn't have the time to make another film, and I thought, you know, like maybe this can turn into kind of a daily art project. Um, so it actually happened very organically and not on purpose at all. And um, I'm actually so amazed by the response that I get from friends. <laughs> I mean, otherwise I never would keep on doing it, you know. 
or maybe I would. Maybe it's just this compulsion in a way just to kind of feel like you, you want to have a voice or express yourself in some way. Mm-hmm. I can see that you know, being at home, I mean, you're so busy with three kids, right? And that, there's, there's that aspect to it. And there's also, uh, you know, if I can imagine, there's also this, this way of expressing your individuality. You're, you're part of a family and you're part of a community. And then there's this individual artistic expression that you indulge in daily, weekly, you know, however often that you feel like doing this and uh, and that that may be why it hits hits others in in such ways you know because it seems to you can seem to encapsulate so much right i guess i'm always surprised that you can talk about your life when you can talk about your life so personally you can actually say universal things that draws people in and in ways that you never kind of could have uh, anticipated right so yeah. that definitely um, happens with Facebook as a medium um, and social media in general is is very much about careful curation. Like everyone wants to present themselves in the the best light, you know, create the most rosy image of themselves. But yet, what I found interesting about your post is you really hit to the core of the day to day. Like you make the sometimes the mundane seem really artistic and, and interesting. Um, do you, I guess, is it difficult for you to decide which aspects of your life from week to week you're going to share and create a piece from? Or is it, you know, there's certain things that happen that you think already, I have to remember that for later and, and create a post over. Right. I mean, you know, it's funny. I've been doing it now for maybe over five years and I still think I'll never be able to do another one. <laughs> you know? I'll never have another idea. I'll never be able to take another good photograph. So I'm, I still am plagued by that kind of, you know, self-doubt. But, um, you know, in terms of then, you know, sometimes I'll be walking down the street and I'll see like the only rose on my entire street and I'll be like, oh, that's a beautiful picture. That's a little thing I could say, you know, about the world. Or, you know, I think also it is what I do is is curated. Like I do, I show. I don't want to show. I don't show like the terrible fights we get in at home. Or you know, I mean, there is a level of um, beauty that I try to maintain at, at all times because you know, I, I it is. Facebook. I do want to kind of interrupt the political posts and I do want to kind of get people's attention on some level, but I don't, I'm not going to tell too much. Like, I'm not going to tell you everything about myself, right? No, and thank God. No, no, but thank God that, you, that you're trying you to You don't interrupt. want to know that, Barbara? <laughs> <laughs> thank God you're interrupting all the posts about, you know, Trump and things like that. Um, and, but it's not that, like, you don't even acknowledge them. I mean, there was a post recently about. Uh, your young, your youngest daughter Willow, who I seem to, I seem to identify most with her, yeah. the adult that I am, you know, so to speak, um, about how you know you can't help uh, but see these things and, and watch things about Trump sometimes, and and you worry about how it affects her, and me not having children, I still, I still think about, I was thinking about the way you phrased it that. You can't avoid it. You and you sometimes. I found myself seeking out. There are some evenings where I go and I put on CNN on purpose, and I found myself doing that. And I thought, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And then I, yeah, I'm not suggesting you're magical or anything. But then all of a sudden, this posting came out where it's like, you can't help it either. And then. To have Willow's point of view. I mean, how old is she? She's she's six now. But she's six. Yeah, I'm actually just putting together the you know the post for the performance, and I, I'm trying to figure out you know after all those years which ones do I include. But there is a funny story where I was going to Maine. We were driving to Maine last summer to do the performance in the small town there, and we get to the border, and Willow. Um, wants to know if if Mr. Trump, if President Trump is going to be meeting us at the border. You know, like she just doesn't understand because we talk about him so often, right? And we were so worried that when we got to the border, we'd have trouble or because of, you know, post you know, Trump era. But, you know, so she just makes you stop and kind of think about the world in, 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 di- in a different way. So yeah. I'm glad that she does that for you too. <laughs> I, it, she's my, uh, not to keep going on, but I have to tell you that when, when it was Easter time, and I mean being, you know, lapsed and not 
wanting Jesus or not wanting anything to hear about Jesus. You know, other people have your Jesus, but in my house, leave, like, leave him out of this. And then Willow, <laughs> she, you have this posting where part of it is this, this just sort of frustration on Willow's part. Why does every holiday have to involve Jesus? That's boring. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just like the honesty is your honesty, her honesty is that that keeps me going. Oh, that's really so it's it's really I mean, I inspiring. Think all, I think all children are like that. You know, I don't know if you guys have seen the Florida Project, but even yes, in, yeah. even you know, in the dire kind of circumstances, children are playful and will be children. You know, and I I feel like so you know if I can capture that and express that it, you know with Willow, then hopefully I think it resonates. You know that experience yeah must for you too courtney courtney has kids yes mm-hmm. i have two two young ones so mm-hmm. there was a lot of your posts i was kind of shaking my head going yeah that that seems familiar um just to circle back to that the trump media obsession just for one quick moment you had a, a post i guess was last year where i think it was your oldest daughter emma was was doing a project on um racism and you had to kind of give her a capsule view because she had this assignment due and it was a, a difficult conversation. And I noticed that some of your, some of the posts that you um, references were having those kind of conversations that as a, you, you know, it's coming at some point, but you can never be prepared for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're creating a performance piece now, you know, how, how much of, of those moments do you include? Cause I know you want to keep it, um, joyful and have everyone in a good mood, but then life is also about difficult discussions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you, do you factor that when you're compiling your p- performance pieces, or do you f- you think, oh, I'll leave that out this time and maybe tackle it another point? Well, it's, it's funny that you, you you said that because I I was just going through them today, and you know, a lot of them there's a sadness to them, you know, but you know, so I'm, but you know, people, I think people, there's also humor, and I think people. Um, I think people want to feel sad sometimes. I feel like, you know, the world is complicated and and we don't talk about those feelings enough. And and so I don't – and because of having a son with, you know, severe disabilities, my life is not easy. There's lots of challenges. And, I you know, I don't want to be like, woe is me and it's terrible. But I I do want to kind of be able to address some of those questions and those difficulties in a way that – but also I think one of the things that I found – about, you know, from having a kid like Teddy is that I I feel like my world became much smaller. And that's I feel like I look at things very, you know, up close, but also I really, really try hard to find the beauty in things because I feel like that keeps me (laughs) afloat. And so, you know, I I feel like I I try to I want to basically, you know, address all of those different emotions in, yeah. in the performance. It feels important. And I, I, I'm always surprised how people kind of respond, you know. Yeah, it, it's uh, those moments always came out when I was reading, you know, that there's a mix usually within one post, between posts. There's there's usually a mix of things. And because you reference so many things in one posting, there can be a really, really, really interesting quote that, you know, gets your in, inti- in, intellect thinking, right? Um, and there can be this striking photo that, touches you in a different way and then there's your thoughts and observations or or just telling an incident all those things come together and um and just elevate the everyday and it acknowledges the everyday and it acknowledges that there's sadness and there's mm-hmm. there's difficulties uh but when it gets put all together it has this sort of deeper effect well, I think also it really is important to include quotes by other people. You know, I'm really interested in, in so many women writers, you know, like Rachel Cusk and Jeanette Winterson and um, Sarah Manguso, Maggie Nelson, all these people. I, I really adore them. And I feel like I want to make my individual life part of a larger conversation. So it, it, there's a communal kind of spirit to, to, the, to the work. Mm-hmm. You know? Interesting because it's also a communal experience of the work, like your friends are reading these. Right, right. And yeah. That, yeah, so it's like it's happening on different levels, which, yeah, it resonates. It resonates so deeply. I noticed in um, both of well, the two short films that I saw, the one um, I think it was called Softening or My Brother Teddy, depending mm-hmm. on where you see it, and um, 
how does life live? How does life live? Yeah. Um, in both of those, there's an aspect of nature in in those that that plays a a very important role, almost like a a third character. And in a lot of your posts, um, there's a lot of shots where the the kids are in nature, uh, because the world is being seen through the eyes of children for most of this, and you're experiencing and sharing yourself through the kids. Do you, do you feel that we are most attuned to nature when we're younger? And as we get older, we're, we're trying to, I guess, reconnect in many ways? Right. I guess for me, so I grew up in Vancouver, um, kind of outside Vancouver, really close to the ocean with mountains. And, you know, I went to school. There was basically a forest in our backyard. And so, I mean, when I moved to Toronto about over 20 years ago, I was like, this is the ugliest city <laughs> I've ever been to. And, uh, but, you know, I'm here I am. So then when I had children, I really wanted to figure out a way to show them you know, nature in the city. Like, how would I do that? So I feel like I, it became a mission, right? Like, I had to search it out. And, you know, there it's not actually as hard as you think it is. You, you know, there's high Park, there's beautiful parks, there's trees on streets, there's flowers everywhere. You know, like, there are there are birds singing. You know, you just have to kind of stop and, and, and look at them. So I feel both. I feel like I'm, I want my children to notice it. It's easy, it's easy not to notice it in the city, but once you look for it, that you can find it. And so I, I feel like I'm trying to create a little bit of what I had growing up on the West Coast in, in the middle of downtown <laughs> Toronto. I don't know how possible that is, but um, I'm also um, doing my PhD right now in environmental studies. So I've always been really interested in the environment, and I feel like it's, you know, it, it's a crisis, right, that we're, <laughs> things are not well. Um, and so I, I'm interested in trying to create an aesthetic um, that maybe can kind of people can think more about the beauty of nature and what maybe what we're doing to it so we don't treat it so badly. Yeah, there's a lot of issues that, that um, come, come out in your in your posts. Um, you touch on, on, on so, so many things that have like bigger implications, you know, we mentioned politics, and, and it's sort of a reminder about how politics functions and how, you know, and how social media functions and, and the environment and stopping, stopping and looking at the flower, the one rose on your street. Um, that there's, there's it, it seems to um, rip, have a ripple effect. You know, you ask, focus on one, one aspect and then you start mentioning other things and, and then there's this ripple effect, which how are you going to capture that in a in a performance? I don't try to freak you out, but <laughs> I'm curious. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how. I've just, you know, I, I've done it a few times and it seems, um, you know, I'll show some short films i'll show some video clips and some of the 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 photographs go with the post but it's it's different when you kind of translate uh facebook into a a live show because you the stories are longer some of the and so you need more photographs so i have to kind of re re imagine the it in a different way there's a dynamism that happens in when you're live right that i think is is you know, like I said, not to, I didn't mean to freak you out, but yeah. like I'm saying, yeah. that there's this dynamic aspect of being there with you live in the room that I think that's got me very excited. Um, well, I never would have done it if it wasn't for my friend, Mike Holbloom, who's a well-known experimental filmmaker in Canada. And, you know, honestly, I am not a big self-promoter or go-getter. And, you know, he was the first person that told me that I should maybe think about bringing this out into the world, you know, just taking it off the computer. And and really, if it wasn't for him, I would not I would not be here talking to you guys today about it. Well, this, that's the thing. Social media people, we, we're all experiencing it in our own bubbles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when we come together and you're there with us, then it, it, that's a li- different level of experiencing it that, that's quite vital, I think, and that, that we moved away from that, right? right? We have our own screens, like, yeah. and we can talk to our friends. I even do a phone call through a screen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to meet the person. Mm-hmm. You send a text. You do FaceTime. You do whatever. I know, and I'm kind of so comfortable in that world, so it's really hard. It's not easy for me, to, <laughs> but it's good. It's, you know, it feels like an important thing to kind of do. Yes, I, I think this is yeah. going to be great. With, um, again, since 
your kids are the focal point and I know they're they're getting older every day as kids do. How is how is your oldest Emma taking it? Like is it is she at the point where she, you know, appreciates and understands the art that that you know mommy's doing or is she getting to that age where she's like, "Oh, great, this conversation might be a post now" type of thing. <laughs> right. Well, there's this great um quote by Rachel Cusk who said something like um, you know, children are stories in the and children are what is that? Does it go? And the stories, children are characters in the stories we tell until they start telling it themselves. And I feel like that Emma's kind of, she's 14 now. And, you know, I don't actually post very much about her anymore because I feel that I don't want to embarrass her. I, I feel like there's a real, um, I, I need her consent much. Uh, I want to kind of respect her privacy. Um, so I will ask her, you know, if um, it's okay. And, um, like, I don't know if you followed this on CBC News. There was this dad talking about how he was going to stop posting pictures of his kid on Facebook once the kid turned two because he felt like the kid wasn't giving consent to the – so, you know, I, I when I hear stories like that, I, I start feeling like the, I'm the worst mother in the world. Like, how could I be doing this, right? So there are lots of ethical issues around it. So I do – there are certain things I will never do, right? Like my kids, I won't post naked pictures of them, you know, I am um, – and I won't, you know, around Emma. I'm not going to, you know, go into the terrible, like the, her, what she's going through in this very, you know, private way. Um, but one of the interesting things that we did recently together is that she was applying to um, ESA, Etobicoke School for the Arts, and she was doing her arts edition, and she wanted to do some photographs. And so we actually collaborated on a project, and we took photographs of her relationship with her brother and sister and basically how she, you know, at this point in her life kind of ignores them. And so that was great. It was an interesting project for both of us to do it together, and some of those um, pictures ended up on Facebook. So I, I can see that happening more often where we kind of work together. And um, and to tell you the truth, honestly, she's kind of – she would like more airtime because, you know, her little sister gets a lot of it. <laughs> so it's not like she hates me for doing it. I think she would be like, Mom, come on. What about me? <laughs> <laughs> and with with that, because I, I did notice that uh, Willow is in a, a lot of the more recent posts, and I'm sure – with the the live piece should probably be a, a a focal point um when it comes to including teddy like i know you did the the short film which which was which was moving and and just poetically beautiful but when it comes to your post i notice he's when he's there it's sparse but powerful like, so will you include him a lot more in the live piece or do you want to still keep him um, just kind of touched on. Courtney, you ask all the perfect, hardest questions. <laughs> Sorry. No, I have an easy one after. No, no, this is, no, it's a good question because I've actually been thinking about it a lot because, um, you know, Teddy's absence is notable. Um, and, you know, that is not an easy thing to kind of come to terms with, you know, because I, I don't want to, um, he's such a huge part of our life. But also, Taking pictures of Teddy is complicated um, because um, it's – I don't know how to do it without feeling um, both sadness and and joy. Like there's just so many conflicting mm-hmm. – and so sometimes just with Willow, it's easier to tell you the truth, right? But um, – the more actually going through this process and looking at the posts over, I, I it's I've realized that I I need to I need to include more pictures of Teddy. I need. It's hard though to tell the stories too, though sometimes because you also you know Facebook is like ephemeral and people you know you you don't want to be it to be too heavy, right? So how do you tell stories about Teddy? Just kind of day to day stories that. So I have to somehow get better at, at that, you know. I think the. I mean, I obviously can't put myself in in your shoes, but I I think his inclusion, even in, in the briefly, I think they're impactful. Like they do resonate in a, in a positive way, okay. even if it's even if it is sad. But mm-hmm. you know, sad doesn't have to be ugly. Sad could be no. beautiful yeah, as yeah. well. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess also I spent so long making that film about him, so I felt you know I, I wanted to do different things for a while. So there was. If I hadn't represented him at all or talked about it, that that would be not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for giving us this insight into this upcoming performance that's going to happen at Hot Docs. It's part of the program Doc X. 
Kelly O'Brien, who we've been speaking to. She is going to present postings from home one night only. So get in line now because it's going to be a hit. It's happening on Thursday, May the 3rd, which is not that far away. So grab your tickets and uh, get ready for a really interesting evening. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me, really. Okay, so we're going to be back in just a second. Okay, you're back with Frameline once again. Courtney and I are going to close off the show with some hot picks for hot dogs. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, that sounds good. (laughs) I feel like um, sometimes I'm just making up hashtags. I can't stop. (laughs) Speaking of the influence of social media, anyway, I'm going to dive right in right now because this is just the beginning of of hot picks. We're going to talk next week and even the week after tell you what things that you should see that that we recommend. I was having a really great time this year watching films in the Artscape program, which you know it's it's always a great program, always really interesting. You know, if you're interested in the arts, but it's also good because it's it's just the oddball stuff. You know, oddball people, oddball stuff, stuff that's not mainstream. I have to say, one of my favorite films of the festival so far is a film called The Artist and the Pervert. So, you know, obviously the title is intriguing. And I took a look at it, and and it's a German film that's going to have its North American premiere. And it's about this couple. And in fact, the gentleman is a, a famous Austrian composer. His partner is a renowned black sex educator from the states, but you know they they sort of move around where where they move uh, where they live together. Uh, they're married, uh, and they have a BDSM relationship, and it flouts conventions and it really you know flirts with boundaries, skirts boundaries in terms of. Um, sexual relations in terms of male-female relationships in in terms of racial relations uh, because they have this BDSM relationship and I, just fascinating where this film goes, how's it, how it starts and how it progresses and how it sort of brings you into their lives and introduces you to these people both of whom are so captivating but especially her. She's, she's amazing. Uh, at least I thought. And yeah, I don't want to tell you much more because you really have to watch it. And then the title of it starts becoming even oh, more okay. interesting, oh, okay. <laughs> even more interesting. The dynamic in the title and the dynamic in their relationship. And, you know, you, you're going to be shocked, I think, more at what she does uh, with race, what she she does as an educator, but also as someone who wants to be, you know, an educator and an activist and and talk about race and how she wants to represent herself and how she she embodies herself as a being. Just fascinating. The artist and the pervert. So yeah, I started off with with that. But just just to give you a couple more in that program Artscape, The Prince and the Dybbuk, which is a Polish film. It starts with this this mystery about an individual. He was known as Moisha Vox. But he has a relationship with this Mikhail Wojciechowski. They're talking about a Hollywood filmmaker and a European filmmaker. I mean, he's, it's the same person. But when they go back and discover his Jewish history and in terms of identity, what the film does in terms of piece, piecing things together about the Hollywood career, but also about the, the identity of the person and try and figure out and in fact come up with their version of his own personal struggles and his his questions and his decisions in life about his identity. It's fascinating. The Prince and the Dybbuk. Also, the last in uh, Artscapes that I'm going to talk about is called Mr. Fish, Cartooning from the Deep. And it is about this this uh, editorial cartoonist named Mr. Fish. It's it's about him, his personal... So, you know, it's it's standard kind of documentary in terms of, of getting to know an individual and uh, focusing on this individual. We get to know him if we don't know him, and we get to know more about him if, if we do know him. And it goes into his cartoon Cartooning. It mostly he, he comes out as an editorial cartoonist when he can find the job because he's pretty out there. 
and he's pretty scathing. This this is, uh, you know, not for the, the faint of heart, but if you like your cartoons rough, you're going to appreciate this. Uh, Mr. Fish cartooning from the deep end, also in Artscape. What's something that surprised you, Courtney? Uh, you know what? There was a film called um, Crime and Punishment, and it's by Stephen Mang, and it's it looks at um, the New York Police Department, and I guess back in... I forget the year, I don't know, maybe 2008, 2006. But anyway, they they had a policy where they they stopped doing quotas because I guess there was a time in the New York police force where you had to bring in a certain amount of arrests and, um, you know, issue a certain amount of tickets. But And that's been wiped off the book. But this um, documentary shows that it may have officially been written off the books, but the the practice is still being ingrained and enforced by the higher levels. Um, so it, it follows, I guess, 12 officers who essentially blow the whistle on the police force. And di- it dives into the ramifications of that because they're still on the job while they're trying, to, while they're calling out this unhealthy practice that is targeting um, especially impoverished communities and minorities because they, they need to bring a certain quota, even though the chiefs of police and the mayor keep saying, no, no, that thing doesn't exist. You hear, you know, secret recordings and you realize that there's still, there's ways to push that without officially saying it. And it's a really fascinating um, film and just this internal power struggle and how it impacts the officers who are essentially whistleblowers and, so I, that's all I'll say. It's but it's a, I, I highly recommend. I, that one kind of caught me off guard in terms of how much I, I really liked it. Mm. Now there's a film that you and I both saw called Three Identical Strangers. Oh, I am willing to to um, pronounce this my absolute favorite of the festival. I don't at know if I'd say that just yet because there's so many other films that we have yes. to watch. But it, I would say it's up there for me. I, yeah, I really it's, like it's this definitely one. in the top. Uh, right now, it's my favorite. Well, I don't know because you know what? The Artist and the Pervert is there, mm-hmm. and surprisingly, it's it's got under my skin. It's just fascinating. But the, Three Identical Strangers. That one's going to be a hot ticket. So uh, that's something that you you should definitely look into. Uh, it's and a story. I think they only have two screenings. Yeah. It's, it's, so yeah. it's going to get released. So Yeah, but you want to see it with the festival crowd. You want to see it with the, the festival crowd, and, yeah. And maybe one or two of the uh, subjects might be there. So Exactly. It is about these gents and the story of how they found each other because they were separated at birth. And the, you, you follow their separate lives and then the point where they find each other and then things happen you know, it's it's a joyous thing, and there are twists and turns in the film that tr- are truly, truly surprising and gripping. It, it, this one is is full of of different reactions, emotions, uh, so many th- different things. Yeah, and we, where it lands is like you you'll never guess. We won't uh, we won't spoil the film because it's definitely one that you need to go in. Um, I think it's better if you go in knowing as little as possible. But all you need to know is it, it, these three twins are separated. They uh, their 18th birthday. They somehow magically find each other, and it's and it's circumstances. It's, yeah, circumstances. It's, they don't know. They don't know. They become media sensations, and everything's great. And then, as you start to dive into well, what led to the separation, that's when the film gets really interesting, and it went all, all, a lot of different ways that I did not expect. You and I also watched Mr. Soul. Yes. And that was that was surprising. I didn't even know there was this. Pe- you know, every once in a while in the history of television, there's something that happened back. You know, when co- television was so-called conservative, like we have these crazy things that happen on the CBC that come out of the vaults, and nobody knows about it. Well, in, in terms of the United States, PBS, there's there are things that are still coming out of of the history of PBS that are incredibly surprising. And there was this film called Mr. Soul about a program that was called Soul. And it was um, hosted by, was it Ellis Haslip, I believe was his name? Mm-hmm. And this was, I guess, the what one of the first black-led um, television talk shows. And it was, a, I don't even want to call it a variety show because it was, it was a, very much conversations, but then they also had like spoken word poetry. 
And this was one of the places where, for example, Earth, Wind and Fire had their first televised performance because back in the 60s, the only way people of color were getting on television is if they were being shown as criminals on the nightly news. And this this soul show was was, I guess, proud in its blackness, if you will. (laughs) Oh, it was. And then the freedom that he Mm -hmm. had somehow and the way that he used it, the way that he used it was so creative. And it, it, you know, when you you were saying you were hesitating about the using the word variety, I thought, no, it's variety in the truest sense of the word, because it can get very serious, you know, in the discussions, the politics and and things like that. And then, yeah, Earth, Wind and Fire come on. Mm And you have a great time. And then you have a conversation about something that is not super political serious. Yeah. You, you know, he, he went toe to toe with Louis Farrakhan and, you know, talked about the nation of Islam's homophobia. And, you know, the, this, the show was so political that Richard Nixon was trying to get it off the air. Like You, you think of and there's a lot of parallels, I guess, to today. And, and it shows Interesting, like the, yeah. the, the impact of. You know, they're essentially you would have no Oprah. You wouldn't have Kendrick Lamar winning a Pulitzer. You wouldn't have all these historic things if it wasn't for this show and, you know, the ripple effect that it gave because it gave Arsenio Hall his first appearance, Gladys Knight. It was like, you look at the list of people that this show essentially broke. It's it's astounding that mm-hmm. it took this PBS show that, again, we had never heard of until now. Yeah. No, to, and it's a beautiful find. Away. Like, yeah. it's just to be able to look back on all these these individuals, all these conversations, all these things that were happening in this one show. It's, it's yeah, this is like a, a really great event to mm-hmm to see this film and uh just to remind you that's called mr soul um there's one i'll talk about called blowing up uh and it's by stephanie wang braille and it's a film about this i guess intervention court that works out of queens it's almost like an experimental court where majority of the the people that go before the judge are um, prostitutes or women who uh, were involved, I guess, in human trafficking, whether it be through massage parlors and what. And the whole purpose of this court is not to punish, but in many ways to save. So the defendant will get in front of a judge and they're given three options. One is to essentially plead guilty, they can fight the trial, or they can take a series of um, counseling sessions. I think it was like five or six. And on, upon completion of those sessions, they will get the record expunged. So this, the, the charge is expunged, and it follows the the women that are involved with that, um, the the judge, and um, what's going on with her and her um, family overseas, and also the social workers, the lawyers, and it, it really shows how you know law and order doesn't always have to be a a, a hard clinch fist. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times you can help save women and get them out of the human trafficking world just by putting the proper systems in place. And it's a, it's a really great doc. Um, it's I guess, uh, very much a about realism, so you almost feel like a fly on the wall. You're just following all these different things. And once in a while, someone might talk directly to the camera, but you're, you're just a bystander watching. watching. And uh, I'm wondering if we have enough time. Sure, if you do it real quick. We can... Okay. There's, it's just that these two films that uh, I found really impressive are part of the Big Ideas series. So um, it tends to sell out. So I want you guys to have a chance to see these films. But they usually have um, like additional screenings because the Big Ideas will always have, I guess, like one major one where they'll probably have like an hour-long discussion afterwards. But then they also have... Um, additional screenings. Where mm-hmm. just... One of these, I don't know if it's one of the ones I'm talking about, but one of them only had one screening after the the big, because Big Ideas is, is, is a screening and talking mm-hmm. um, session, basically. Uh, so they the, the the big the big one is the first screening because that's when everything happens, and then you know just to see the film, which is a, an important thing too. They they're great films, mm-hmm. so it's important to see them. But with only two, like possibly two screenings. Yeah, the, I mean, usually the directors will show up for those screenings as well. You just don't get the the lengthy conversation. Yeah, but anyway, just to make sure, mm-hmm. if I may, Annotate's Arc, made by a Canadian filmmaker, Matthew Reitz. It is poignant 
and fascinating look at this island in the Pacific called Kiribati. And they're having a, a problem because of climate change, and it's flooding. It's, it's not very big, and it's a very close-knit traditional community. But what happens is that uh, they have noticed that all this flooding keeps happening, and it's getting to the point where they're starting to fear that the, the island uh, will disappear as mm-hmm. sea levels rise. So it's, it's, it's not just a film for people that are you know, passionate about climate change, which most people are that we know, right? But it's also like just this portrait of this community, and it's a completely isolated, um, wonderful kind of community. And you get to meet these people. It's, it's one of those, those films where it's a portrait of a community. It has this added tension of the community is in, str- in a struggle, right, in a crisis. I think it's a very important film to see, and it's beautiful. Anna Tay's arc. The other one is called The Cleaners. It's interesting now that Mark Zuckerberg is talking about Facebook, and he's talking about privacy, and he's talking about what's happening on Facebook, behind the scenes at Facebook, uh, you know, between Facebook and, and the Internet and, and things like that, and concerns about the Internet are coming to the fore. Well, The Cleaners is about a group of people that have been hired to basically cut material that is unacceptable, that is deemed unacceptable according to certain criteria they are given. So at first, it's the issue of privacy. It's the issue, it's the issue of freedom of expression. Yeah, what they deem as. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and the limits, or should there be limits, and then you start to, to see the, the type of stuff. So there's questions. There's always questions about that. And then it's a question of, well, f- uh, who's deciding? Mm-hmm. And then it's a question of, who's doing this? And the implications from that first level of, okay, this is what's going on, up to who's doing this in terms of the individuals, as the film gets deeper and deeper and deeper into the subject, it just takes on these proportions that that you never expected. It is is such an important, but it's it's quite an experience. To watch this film, so that that's the cleaners. Yeah, that's one I, I. It's definitely high on my to see list because Facebook has always had, and a lot of social media sites, but especially Facebook has had a lot of problems with removing things like, for example, a mother breastfeeding her child, mm-hmm. and you know, deeming certain things as inaccept, um, inappropriate when you look at it. But that's actually not inappropriate. Like you, you let you ban that, but then you let this photo of a scantily clad woman who's almost naked through, like, you know, just the arbitrary nature. So I'm very interested in that. Um, one I will talk about really quick, because I remember you talked about Tate's article about how the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a film called Obscuro Baraco, um, and it's by Evangelia Cranati, and I apologize if I mispronounced that name, but uh, she is a filmmaker who, a few years ago at Hot Dogs, I guess her debut film was um, Erotica, Exotica, etc., and that, ah, yes. And that was all about uh, basically a sex worker in a, in a port community talking about her past loves. And you're getting her tell her story while you're also seeing men on a um, shipping boat um, just working the day-to-days and just per- beautifully shot. So she's back again with a film about um, Luana Munez, who's a transgender icon in Brazil. And I guess this was one of the last um, works that this this artist was a part of, uh, and it it talks about, I guess the the battle of our transgender rights in Brazil, and it's juxtaposed with Mardi Gras, and um, and just the the wild sexual energy of that, but then of course because it's a Cranati film there's a poetic beauty to it as well. And it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like there's moments where the film, you know, she embraces the silence and just lets the image imagery take over, you know, and it's, it's very philosophical in its approach. You're not going to get like a straight story about this person's life. It's no, more, but that, that's an exciting kind of documentary yeah. filmmaking too. It's very poetic. And it's, <clears throat> it's one that I, I think uh, she is a, a filmmaker that we, we need to be taking 
pay more attention to. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate all the different kinds of documentaries that are included and the, the different kinds of documentary experiences. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really nice to have a variety, to use that word again. I think, I think we've given you guys uh, something to start on. Yeah, right? we, we'll have a lot more recommendations next week once the, uh, the festival kicks off. Absolutely. Okay, so thanks everybody for listening. You can be sure that we're going to come back with a whole bunch of stuff next week. And, and we're getting more guests in. And make sure that you check out the Hot Docs website, hotdocs.ca, um, because there has got the list of all the films and how you can, you can buy tickets online or if you want to go to the theaters, it lets you know which theaters the films are playing and when. Excellent. Okay, so catch you next week.